Welcome to Today on Broadway for Tuesday, December 19th, 2023 on Broadway Radio's Matt Tamanini. And I'm Tell Me on a Sunday podcast, Gray Saki. Grace, this is our last Today on Broadway episode of 2023, unless something crazy happens. We will have podcast episodes in the feed every weekday for the rest of the calendar year. But because things are already pretty slow, we're going to dive into some other topics, looking back at 2023, looking forward to 2024. But we did want to come to you all today because Appropriate officially opened on Broadway on Monday night at the Helen Hayes Theater. But here's the thing, Grace, not to pull the curtain back too far, you have something you have to go see on Monday night. I do. So we are recording all of the news before said thing. And then I'm going to drop in the reviews for Appropriate when they come out, whenever that might be. And then we'll package it all together. So we're going to do a little bit of a of a time warp here. And if you are listening, you will now hear the reviews for Appropriate. But Grace will not be a part of those. But then we'll get back with the news. And Grace can add her expert insight to all of the, t- the topics of conversation thereafter. Brandon Jacobs Jenkins, appropriate, originally played at the Actors Theater of Louisville in the Humana Festival of New American Plays back in 2013. It then made its off-Broadway debut at the Pershing Square Signature Center the following year in 2014. In that cast were Johanna Day, Mike Feist, Maddie Corman, Michael Lawrence, and others. It has since played in Los Angeles and in London, but on Monday night, it made its official Broadway premiere at the Helen Hayes Theater, thanks to the Second Stage Theater. Directed by Lila Neugebauer, the cast is fantastic, featuring Sarah Paulson as Tony, Corey Stoll as her brother Beau, and Michael Esper plays their younger brother Frank, or Franz, depending on who is saying his name. Elle Fanning plays River, Franz's girlfriend. Natalie Gold plays Rachel, Beau's wife. And Alyssa Emily Marvin plays their daughter, Cassidy. Graham Campbell plays Tony's son, Reese. And Everett Sobers and Lincoln Cohen alternate as Ainsley, Beau and Rachel's young son. The plot description reads, It's summer, the cicadas are singing, the Lafayette family has returned to their late patriarch's Arkansas home to deal with the remains of his estate. Tony, the eldest daughter, hopes they'll spend the weekend remembering and reconnecting over their beloved father. Bo, her brother, wants to recoup some of the funds he spent caring for dad at the end of his life, but things take a turn when their estranged brother Franz appears late one night and mysterious objects are discovered among the clutter. Suddenly, long-hidden secrets and buried resentments can't be contained, and the family is forced to face the ghosts of their past. As of recording time, review aggregator site Did They Like It has collected 10 reviews, Each and every single one of them is positive. Jesse Green made the show a New York Times critic's pick, saying, quote, Think of the worst person you know, the kind who blabs people's secrets, mocks their diction, dismisses their pain while making festivals of her own. Throw in a tendency toward casual anti-Semitic slurs, for which she thinks she has a free pass, and a what's-the-big-deal approach to racism. Now add a deep wound and a wicked tongue, and you're almost part way to Antoinette Lafayette, the monster played by Sarah Paulson in the blistering revival of Appropriate that opened on Broadway on Monday. Recalling yet somehow outstripping the thrilling vileness of theatrical viragos like Martha and Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf and Violet in August Osage County, she is the burned-out core of a nuclear family reactor, taking no prisoners and taking no blame. 
But even in Paulson's eye-opening, sinus-clearing performance, Tony, as she's called, doesn't sum up the outrageousness of Brandon Jacobs Jenkins' play, which has a deep wound and wicked tongue of its own. To get all the way to its sweet spot, and Lila Neugebauer's production for Second Stage definitely gets there, you must further multiply Tony by her brothers, each awful in his own way. What is interesting is this review is clearly very positive, but Paulson actually notes that he panned the original 2014 off-Broadway run. He said, quote, I have to admit that when I first saw it at the Signature Theater in 2014, neither understanding nor enjoyment were forthcoming. Rereading my scathing review in light of what is obviously a rave today, I am forced to grapple with my own past and the plays. It would be easy to say that the difference between then and now is the heavy rewriting Jacobs Jenkins has done in the interim. And certainly, comparing the two scripts, I see the clearer dramatic architecture and sharper point of view that a playwright in his prime, at 38, can impose. It would also be easy to attribute the improvement to Neugebauer's direction, which is so smart and swift for most of the play's substantial length that you feel gripped by storytelling without being strangled by argument. Her staging on a towering double-decker set by the design collective Dots is also nearly ideal, accentuating with the help of Jane Cox's painterly lighting the conflicts and alliances among the characters. The Daredevil cast, instead of reveling and falling apart, focuses for as long as possible on keeping it together. We thus experience, in the force of that repression, just how awful human awfulness must be if human will cannot ultimately corral it. Though all those improvements are real, they do not fully explain why I flipped for this revival. Perhaps this does. Playwrights who show us things we are reluctant to see may have to teach us, over time, how to see it. And we must be willing to have our eyes opened. I guess I've changed at least that much in ten years of reviewing. And Jacobs Jenkins is part of the reason. Aramid Tanubu reviewed the show for Variety saying, quote, Appropriate now playing on Broadway is a searing narrative about family ties, past hurts, and unbridled pain. It's a shocking play centering on legacy, race, and the fragility of memory. Sarah Holden reviewed the show for Vulture saying, quote, In the sensitive hands of director Lila Neugebauer and her top-notch cast, these people are complicated and they're blinkered. Monstrous and pitiable, trying and failing, not individually hateful, and collectively matured in a slow cooker of unexamined bias and malice. Greg Evans for Deadline said, quote, A blistering family drama directed by Lila Neugebauer, appropriate is a wicked cacophony of nerve-wrenching mystery, old resentments, and laugh-out-loud comedy. The latter all the more remarkable coming, as it does, within a story about the darkest horrors of America's legacies. I'll wrap these up with Tim Tiemann from the Daily Beast who said, quote, This is also a play of interweaving layers and intentions. A raucous, argument-filled family drama meets comedy, and a pointed indictment of racism meets ghost story. There are no visible ghosts, but the past vibrates meaningfully in each scene. Now, I did see the show when I was in town uh, a couple weeks ago, and I have to tell you, these folks all liked it a lot better than I did. The show was entertaining, it was funny, it was compelling, the acting was tremendous. But as a number of these reviews say, it very much feels like a show inspired by August Osage County. And in fact, that's what I said to my friend who I went and saw it with, Natalie, and then to people afterwards. I said I liked it better when the show was just called August Osage County. Perhaps what I liked about August Osage County more than I liked about Appropriate is that at least in Tracy Letts's work, there were people who you could maybe not sympathize with, but at least have uncomplicated sympathy for. But inappropriate, the central family members are all pretty bad people to varying degrees. And while some of the folks, 
And while some of the extended family members around them do provide some humanity both in dramatic and comedic ways, I just kept butting my head up against the fact that the characters played by Michael Esper, Corey Stoll, and especially Sarah Paulson were just not likable enough for me to really invest in. I don't want to give too much about the story away, but as I've said from some of these reviews, there are family secrets that come up, and it becomes very clear that even if these three siblings think of themselves as good people who don't harbor the malice and ignorance of their family's generations past, it was still subtly ingrained inside them, either by osmosis or just general proximity. So based off these reviews, I would imagine that this show is going to find itself in the middle of a race for either best play or best play revival. Depending on what the committee decides to do, I would imagine that this will be in the best revival category because this is not in any way a transfer from the Signature Theater production. It is a completely different cast, a completely different creative team, very different from what Here Lies Love did which continued a number of the cast members, including two of the three main leads, and kept the same creative team, including the director. However, to me, I was left wanting, and to be quite honest with you, I have felt like this with a number of shows that I have seen recently, where for whatever various reason, I didn't see it, or maybe even wide our audiences didn't get to see it when it was first originally written, so that by the time I came in contact with it, it didn't have the punch of shock that a show like this should have, and like, frankly, August Osage County did. It felt more like preaching to the choir now than it probably did a decade ago. So for me, I liked appropriate. The acting, the directing, everything about it was fantastic. I just wish that I had seen this production of it back in 2011, 2013, 2014, when Brandon was first bringing this show to the public. Because the version I saw just over a week ago at the Helen Hayes Theater felt like a lot of sound and fury signifying something that we've not only seen before, but have also already wrestled with and come to accept as the stone-cold sober honest truth. Wow, I can't believe those reviews, Grace. What did you think of them? Wow, much to be expected, but there were a few zingers. <laughs> well done. Um, okay, so let's dive into the news. First up, this show begins performances tonight, as you're listening to this on Tuesday, December 19th, and it's extended already, which is not a surprise whatsoever, but Joshua Harmon's Prayer for the French Republic has already announced a two-week extension. The show had originally been scheduled to close at the Samuel J. Friedman Theater from the Manhattan Theater Club on February 4th. It will now play through February 18th at least. I would not be surprised if there is one, two, three more extensions built in there as well. The official opening night will be on January 9th. The show was a huge hit for the Manhattan Theater Club off-Broadway towards the beginning of last year in 2022. Many, but not all, of the off-Broadway cast has returned. That is brought a little bit of contention for folks uh, with the replacement casting. But the show, I'm imagining, will continue to be one of the favorites for best play when we get into the Tony conversation. It is directed by David Cromer, recent Broadway radio guest, as I said earlier, was written by Joshua Harmon, stars Betsy Aideem, Francis Benhamu, Ari Brand, Molly Ranson, Nancy Robinette, Anthony Edwards, and more. Grace, did you see this off-Broadway? 
No, this is one of the few things that was incredibly like, you know, hyped and and people were just like absolutely clamoring to go see it. And therefore I did not get a chance or an opportunity. So I'm really excited to get to see this in January. Yeah, I did see it off Broadway, but it was one of those things where and I can't remember exactly what it was. I had tickets for something else and it got canceled because of COVID. And I ended up being like, oh, what What did I go see? And people were like, go see Prayer for the French Republic. So I saw it off Broadway. I think that I liked it for, I, before I get into to my thoughts on it. I really liked it, but it's long and it, I, it felt padded. I thought it could be trimmed um, a, a little bit. Uh, so we'll see what if, if there is any significant differences here between what was done off Broadway and off and on Broadway when it begins performances tonight. Um, Grace, do you remember yesterday when we talked about the initial casting for Anna K. Jacobs and Michael R. Jackson's new musical Teeth coming to Playwrights Horizons? Yeah. And then a massive announcement after that. Yeah. So they announced like, hey, here's our cast. Oh, wait, just kidding. Here's one more person that you probably want to know. That is because the one and only Stephen Pasquale has joined the cast. He will be playing Pastor Bill O'Keefe, along with a couple other characters as well. I'm imagining he is the father of the main character, Don O'Keefe. That's a pretty big get for this show at Playwrights Horizons, coming directly pretty much from uh, Here We Are at the Shed, Sondheim's last musical, Stephen Pasquale. You know, it's interesting because for a long time, he was doing TV and, and movies and all that stuff. And we didn't really get to see him on stage, but he's really been uh, setting his feet back in the theatrical world. And I know you, for one, at least, uh, are very excited about that. Yes. Yeah, Steven has been doing some like weird stuff, like cool yeah. um, chance indie projects that are still to the level of that he needs to be at, you know, um, to, for him to, to sign on. So I think it's actually really exciting. And I think it's a vote of confidence for that project. Yeah, obviously, not only did Here We Are did Assassins Off-Broadway, where you worked with him on the cast album. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see what this is all about. Teeth begins performances on February 21st. As we mentioned yesterday, Sarah Benson directs and Raja Feather Kelly choreographs. We've also recently talked about the off-Broadway premiere of the musical A Sign of the Times, which had previously played uh, out of town a few years ago. It features a score of a bunch of uh, 1960s artists, mainly women, Petula Clark, Leslie Gore, Dusty Springfield. Well, yesterday they announced the initial casting for the show, and it includes Chalina Kennedy, who did appear in the Goodspeed version and the Delaware Theater Company version. She'll be joined by Ryan Silverman, Justin Matthew Sargent, and Crystal Lucas Perry. They also announced a number of ensemble members as well, but they did say that there will be more casting to come. The show is going to be directed by Gabrielle Barr and choreographed by Joanne M. Hunter. And speaking of a musical that is getting another life, the musical version of Mystic Pizza originally played, I believe it was uh, two summers ago in 2021 at the Algonquit Playhouse up in, in Maine, and it starred in that production, Christina Alabado, Gianna Yanelli, and my friend and former Broadway radio guest, Kira Kennedy. And those three are going to be reprising their roles at the center of this story when the show makes its West Coast premiere at the La Mirada Theater Company beginning on January 19th. The show is currently scheduled to run through February 11th. 
The show is directed by Casey Hushin, who directed it at the Ogonquit back in 2021. And a lot of the creative team is uh, is back with it as well. This is interesting, Grace. We don't see this very often where you go from like one out of town regional performance across the country and then you keep the same cast. Like to me, that screams. Mm -hmm. We still want to try to keep this group together for a potential New York run, whether on or off Broadway. Like I I at least reading some tea leaves like that's what it feels like to me. Am I wrong there? We've just had a similar thing of swept away, you know, where they did an out of town Berkeley. Yeah, that's true. And now they're doing the DC run um, that is just extended in January. But I think that uh, it makes sense if you've got a small enough group that is, you know, if if the producers are already working on another run and then you've got those people available, they already know the 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 piece. So you don't have to re-rehearse. It's actually just really smart. Um, it makes sense financially, in my opinion, but. I'm not the one signing those checks. So I think it's great. <laughs> yeah. And um, one thing that I didn't mention, the book is by Sandy Rustin, who did the the cottage on Broadway this past season. So it, the score is a bunch of 80s and 90s hits, even though the movie came out before some of them actually uh, were released. But that's OK. Girls just want to have fun. Addicted to love. Nothing's going to stop us now. Take my breath away. Things like that. Mm-hmm. And finally, in the news section here, Grace. Saturday Night Live has announced its host and musical guest for January 20th. Jacob Elordi is going to be the host, the musical guest, Renee Rapp. Uh, That'll be right in time for, this will be like a week after uh, the Mean Girls movie, musical movie adaptation of the musical of the movie comes out. Of course, this all makes sense because Lauren Michaels was a producer on the original Mean Girls film, was a producer on the Uh, Mean Girls musical and is also a producer on the musical movie as well and the Tina Fey connections of it all. So it makes sense that he would have Renee on as she is becoming big as a pop star and leading that film that they would do that. But this is cool. This is very cool. Like if you would have said coming out of the 2018, was it 2018 Jimmy Awards that Renee Rapp was going to go from that to Broadway star to TV star to movie star to music star and musical guest on Saturday Night Live. That's one hell of a five-ish year run, Grace. I mean, Olivia Rodrigo going from High School Musical to Musical the Series. Yes, 100%. To pop star, to SNL guest. It's not totally surprising to me that she, first of all, is like the hottest, newest pop star on the scene. She has risen so very quickly from uh, college, uh, Sex Lives of College Girls to this pop career, I was I was genuinely floored that she was not nominated for Grammy for Best New Artist. I thought that she, first of all, should have yeah. been nominated and I thought she was going to win. So it actually had nothing. I wasn't even thinking about Mean Girls, to be frank with you, when I saw her as a musical guest. I saw her as a musical guest because of her record deal and incredible like rise to fame. So it, it's it totally makes sense that Lauren would help that along, but they are certainly positioning this film campaign in her favor. Like it's all been Regina George forward and not Katie Heron at all because of her rise. So I, I you know, I wonder if we're going to have a Megan the Stallion cameo on stage um, for SNL. I hope that that's true because they've released a song um, that we talked about on, I guess, last week's Broadway radio. So I'm thrilled. I have a young ex-wives t-shirt obviously, from her album. So um, I'm a really big fan. Very cool. All right. So Mm -hmm. I've got two recommendations. One of them is an article that has to do actually with Mean Girls a little bit. It comes from The Hollywood Reporter. And the headline is, are studios shy to market musicals as musicals? 
this is not new. Every musical movie adaptation deals with this in the trailers, like Into the Woods, like hid the fact that it had music in it. But it kind of goes through all of that. So if you want to read that, do it. But the big recommendation that I have for you comes from Kimberly Akimbo. Have you seen this, Grace? I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. If if you had, you would know. Ali Mozzie and Bonnie Milligan have done a music video for them rewriting the words to Sisters from White Christmas. Of course, they play Sisters in the show. It is not the feel-good, sentimental song that you might have known it from that film. Uh, it is very funny. It is very, very clever. Talking about there's no scam that can come between them. It's very funny and perfect for the holidays with White Christmas and everything. So, And they do note in the caption is that David Lindsay Abair did write the parody lyrics for Sisters. So... Uh, it's very fun. Very, very good. And Ali Mozzie and Bonnie Milligan are so much fun together. Uh, if you haven't seen this, see it. If you haven't seen Kimberly Akimbo, as we talked about in an episode that'll be coming up in the feeds in the next couple of days or so, who knows how long you're going to have a chance to see it. And especially with those two stars, because even if it makes it past a year, which it, oh, it already has made it past a year, but it, you know, you never know when the original cast will leave. So uh, definitely get over to the theater and see that. All right, that's all that we have for you today. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Broadway Radio. And you can follow me pretty much anywhere at BWW. Matt Grace, where can people find you? You can find me at It's Grace Hockey. All right, everybody. Have a wonderful holidays. We'll be back to talk to you, but we've already recorded all of those episodes. So it's this is really my last time to say it. But happy holidays. Merry Christmas if you celebrate it. Um, happy New Year. All of those things. And we'll be talking to you in between now and then. But with a new episode, we will talk to you again in the new year. <laughs>